The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote it to a church in Ephesus. And one of the things that you'll notice, if you read your Bible a lot, you'll notice that almost every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he always had a formula. I mean, you know people who study history of, of literature and all, they can read something and go, yeah, this sounds like Shakespeare, because he always wrote kind of like this. Well, Paul is that way too. What Paul almost always does is he begins his, his letter with what I call the theology, the big theological, deep God reasons that he's teaching what he's teaching. He talks about our, in, in Ephesians, the first chapter two, he talks about how we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. How that everything in Christ, we have all blessings. We have all spiritual blessings because we sit in Christ. And Jesus, who was chosen from the foundation of the world, when we're in Christ, we are a part of the chosen from the foundation of the world because we're part of Christ. And he talks about all of these deep ideas, these big spiritual ideas. And then about halfway or two-thirds of the way through the book, he goes, okay, now here's what that looks like in real life. I mean, here's what all of this stuff I've been talking about, here's how you do that in the way you live every day. And the book of Ephesians is no different. The first part of Ephesians, first half of it, he talks about these big themes and then if you get to chapter 4 in verse 1, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. You know what the word therefore means? My dad told me years ago, every time you see the word therefore, back up and see what it's there for. <laughs> therefore means because of what I just said, here's what I want you to do. Or here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to believe. Here's what I want you to be careful about. And he begins his practical discussion about what he wants us to be. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, beseech means I beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Worthy. Now, none of us are worthy, but he means walk in a worthy way. Walk in a way that's appropriate to what you're supposed to be doing, okay? Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. So he talks about this attitude or this character that Christians are supposed to have. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Nothing better than unity and peace in a congregation, a church, a body of, of God's believers, or God's children here. He says there's one body, verse 4, there's one body and one spirit. You're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So he's, he's talking about this unity, how that we are a body. And a body has to function together or it's not going to work. And that's what he tells them that he wants them to do. Now, what I want us to focus on is the last part of this chapter. If you'll turn on over to verse, um, verse 22. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind... And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he introduces this concept here 
to them and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put off one thing and I want you to put on something else. Now, he's comparing the church to a body and you understand that idea of putting off and putting on, don't you? My son attends the school, this private Christian school that I teach at, and we require uniforms. Everyone that goes has a uniform that they wear, and he has to wear a white button-down that has the logo of the school, and he has to wear khakis and dress shoes. and I mean, he has clothes that he has to wear to this school. And so when he comes to school, he has on those clothes. When he comes home, he goes straight to work. Now, he's, he's into Taekwondo, and he teaches Taekwondo at a local dojo is what they call it. And so he has to go from school to work. And when he gets home, he changes out of his school clothes. He puts off the school clothes, and he puts on his Taekwondo outfit. And he looks different. He looks like a totally different kid. In fact, if you've ever seen Karate Kid, he's kind of blonde-headed. He looks like the bad guy in that movie. <laughs> but the idea is we know what it is to put one thing off and something else on. He couldn't go to work in his school clothes because if he gets to work in his school clothes, he can't do all that stuff that they do. The same thing is true of school. He couldn't show up in his work clothes because they tell him he has to go home and change into his school clothes. Here Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, if nothing changes, what's the point? Did you change when you became a Christian? Are you different now than you were before? I hope you are. He says, you and I as Christians, need to put off the way we used to be, and we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on this new way that's like Jesus. I need to begin to act and respond and deal with people the very same way that Jesus Christ would. Now, do you all remember the WWJD bracelets that were real popular for a while? What would Jesus do? Well, I, I can remember thinking about that and thinking, oh, well, Jesus would walk around in sandals and, you know, ride a donkey and, he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do what we do. But really the point of that I was missing when I was a kid. The point of that is not how would Jesus be if we went back to the first century. The point is if he was a guy named Michael McCorkle who was 56 years old, who was married to the woman I'm married to, driving the car I drive, and working at the school I work with, what would he do were he in my life? How would he live that? And that's what he talks about here. He says, you put off the way Michael McCorkle would do it, and you put on the way Jesus Christ would do it. Well, how is that? He gives us some very practical things that I want to look at here. Okay, verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Don't lie. You wouldn't think you'd have to stand in front of a church of Christians and say that, would you? You wouldn't think you'd have to write a letter to a church of Christians and say, don't lie to each other, quit it. But that's what he says, and you might think, now wait a minute, preacher. Are you saying you think we're liars? I mean, are you saying you think that we would tell lies, big old black ugly lies? You know, 
probably a better question than uh, have you ever told a lie would be, do you think you could count how many lies you've told in your life? I say, well, you know, everybody sometimes says things that aren't right. You know, when he's talking about this, he's talking about communicating within a body. Okay? If I'm walking down the, the aisle here and this left leg lies to my brain and says that it swings forward to catch my body when it really doesn't and it just stays back there, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to fall on my nose, right? A body can't function if it doesn't communicate accurately and honestly with itself. Now, when he's talking about lying here, he's not just talking about a big black ugly lie. He's talking about half-truths, exaggerations, uh, little white lies, fibs. He's talking about any time you intentionally deceive someone else. You've lied to them. I had a teacher when I was in school who told our class that she never ever lied to her parents. Now we knew better than that because everyone lies to their parents, right? You did it. I did it. We've all done that at times. And she said, nope, I never one time lied to my parents. Well, teenagers, we challenged her on that. She said, well, there were a lot of times I didn't tell the truth, but I never lied to them. I said, what do you mean you didn't tell the truth, but you never lied? She said, well, there was this one time for instance, that dad told me that I could take the car as long as I didn't go to a nearby town and go to a club that we like to go to. And so I left, I took the car, we went to my friend's house, and now young folks, you can't do this, it doesn't work on cars today, but back then you could disconnect the odometer cable. And she said, we disconnected the odometer cable, and then we went to the nearby town and went to the club. And then I came back to my friend's house and we reconnected the odometer cable because she knew Dad was going to check the mileage. And she went home. And Dad said, where'd you go tonight? She said, well, I went to my friend's. Didn't she? Was that true? Did she go to her friend's? Was she lying to her father? By telling him the truth? Yes. That's why in court you have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You see, I can tell something that's technically true and deceive you while I tell it. Now how would this work in a church? What's he talking about? Somebody says to you, will you pray for me? I'm really struggling. You go, yeah, I'll pray for you. You forget all about it. And then you see them. Next Sunday at church, they walk in the door and you go, oh no, I forgot to pray. Lord be with them. Hey, I've been praying for you. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Just be honest. Tell the truth. Don't say you're going to check on little sister so-and-so who wasn't at church and forget and go, you know, I never could get her on the phone. Well, yeah, because you never tried. Don't do that. Just be honest. He says here, because you're members one of another. Your body has to communicate. Listen, 
If you're around me very long, you're going to get disappointed in me because I'm going to do stuff that I shouldn't do and I'm going to forget stuff I promised you I'd do. And that's just the way life is. And we've got to tolerate that in one another. We've got to understand that. And we've got to be honest with each other in our dealings. He goes to, on to the next verse and he says this, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. He says, when you're angry, don't sin. Did you know it's not a sin to be angry? I used to think it was a sin to be angry. It's not a sin to get angry. Did Jesus get angry? And He was without sin, wasn't He? Does God get angry? You better believe He gets angry. He swallowed up a bunch of people, just opened the earth and swallowed them up because He was angry at them. God and Jesus both get... Anger's not sin. Anger's just an emotion. Sadness isn't sin. Joy isn't sin. Those are just emotions. Be angry and don't sin. Why does he say that? Well, because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You see, when I'm angry, I'm likely to do something that's not right. You ever do that? I have. I've. When I get angry, sometimes I... You know, there's two chief ways people sin when they're angry. One is they blow up, and the other is they clam up. I have more of a tendency to blow up. Okay? And I, that's just the way I am. You know what Proverbs 29.11 says about that though? It says, A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterward. In other words, if I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to give you a piece of my mind... I better hold on to it because I'm a fool and I don't have a whole lot to give away. I need to hold on to what mind I've got. Don't blow up when you get angry. And the other thing is clamming up, which is what he's talking about here. Don't clam up. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Oh, come on now. I said nothing is wrong. It's nothing. <laughs> and you know, blower-uppers tend to marry clamor-uppers. I don't know why that, why that is either. The problem with that is you don't ever solve anything. You don't ever solve the problem. And when you have a church of people, you know, sometimes if you're around each other enough, sometimes you're going to get angry at someone. Don't blow up at them, but don't clam up and keep your mouth shut and not deal with the problem. You've got to go address it in a kind and loving way. Now, I will say just above this, he said when you speak the truth, speak the truth in love. Okay, just because it's true doesn't mean I have to say it. And you speak the truth in love, and when you're angry especially, go talk to someone about it. Don't hold on. You know, the Bible has a word for this holding on to this anger. That word is bitterness. Have you ever known anyone that was bitter? You know, everything's ugly in the world to someone who's bitter. He says in Hebrews, be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. I uh, have seen some church trouble in my life. Not a whole lot of it, but some. And I'll tell you that every time I've seen it, it's not really been over doctrine. It's been over, oh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so got bitter at a brother or sister over here. And we can find something we disagree about if we're looking for it, right? And then we can pretend it's some big doctrinal stand and the truth is it's just because I don't love my brother. That's the truth. And I let bitterness get in my heart. Don't be bitter. 
Don't let bitterness get in your heart. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. One guy told me one time, that means you can get mad right after the sun goes down and stay mad almost 24 hours. No, his point is this. You don't yell at each other when you get mad. You don't clam up and refuse to talk. What you do is you in love go and discuss the problem between you like he says in Matthew 18 and so many other places and work it out. Why? So there's a solution and the body keeps working correctly. You know, a lot of the diseases we have in, in America today are what they call autoimmune diseases. You know what that is? That's when a part of your body attacks another part of your body. That'll kill you. We don't need parts of the body of Christ attacking other parts of the body of Christ. We need to learn with this renewed mind to put off that old way, the way I would act if I was angry and hurt when I was not a Christian, and put on the new way which honors and reflects what Jesus Christ would do. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Don't steal. Don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. Don't be a taker. Anytime you've got a group of people, whether it's a family or a workplace or a church, anytime you've got a group of people and there are a certain few of those people who are always taking and never giving, you know what you've got is a problem, right? You've seen that, haven't you? Don't be a taker, be a giver. If it's not yours, don't take it. You, now preacher, you don't think I'd take a gun down to the Circle K or whatever, Allsup's is what y'all have out here, right? Allsup's and, and rob them, do you? No, I don't think you would. There's a lot of ways people steal other than that. You ever say you worked eight hours when really you didn't? You get your paycheck for eight hours? You just stole that money. You ever have an employee that works nine hours and you only pay him for eight? You stole that money. You ever go when the buffet says only one person can eat off a buffet plate? And you go, well, I don't want much. I'll just take a little bit. Well, you stole that. I knew somebody one time who went and bought a video camera, videotaped the kid's birthday party, and then took the video camera back. Because <laughs> they didn't want to buy one. You just stole it. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. One time when I was pretty young, we were driving, I was with my dad again, and uh, he tells this story, so don't, don't think I'm getting in trouble for telling on him. But we stopped and there'd been a train crash. These train had trains run into each other and there was big piles of stuff all around and we stopped and we're looking at it and they had these springs and they were great big the, oh about that big around you know and and dad thought you know I bet the kids would enjoy playing with these and so he grabbed one of them you know and opened the trunk of his car and was putting it in the policeman pulled up and he said what are you doing he said oh we were just looking at the train crash he said no I mean with the spring." And dad said, oh, well, I just thought the kids would, would enjoy playing with that. He said, is that your spring? And dad said, well, no, but it was in the trash pile. And he said, is that your trash pile? And dad said, well, no. <laughs> so he took it and put it back in the trash pile. Now, the reality is they probably wouldn't have minded him taking that spring, but the truth is it wasn't his. 
So he shouldn't take it. What do you do instead? He says, work and give. Labor, working with your hands. So instead of being a person who's always seeing what they can get, you be the kind of person, especially in a church, that you're seeing what you can give. You're not seeing what this church will do to do for me, but what can I do for this church? You see, what can I participate? I know people, I call them uh, empty bucket Christians that just show up at church and they hold their bucket out and you fill it up. And if you don't fill it with what I like, I'm going to go to church down the road and they'll fill up my bucket. The Lord doesn't need empty bucket Christians. He needs my cup runneth over Christians. He needs people, I've got enough for me and I'm going to share with you too. I'm looking out for you. I'm concerned and caring about the rest of the body of Christ instead of always, what can I get? What's it going to be about me? How can I get my needs met and my desires satisfied? The next verse, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. No corrupt communication. Now that means don't cuss at each other, right? Well, not really. I mean, that might be involved in it. But really, he says, don't let corrupt communication come out, but instead let edifying communication come out. Well, what's edify? Do you know what edify means? It means to build up, right? To edify means to build up. So what's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. He says, don't let anything come out of your mouth that tears down your fellow Christians, but instead, everything that comes out of your mouth needs to build up and minister grace to your fellow Christians. Don't tear each other down. Don't, just don't do that. I'm, it's it's a, probably the most common source of church trouble is gossip. People talk about somebody, well, you know, old brother so-and-so is going to preach again. I don't know. <laughs> Think we ought to go to Amarillo for church this morning? I don't Why would we do that? I had a situation one time where a young man came to me and he was going to move to an area and uh, I said, where are you going to church? And he said, well, I can tell you one thing, I ain't going to that church. I said, oh really? I said, what's wrong with that church? Now this was a church, I knew the brethren there, I'd spent a lot of time, they were God-fearing, served the Lord, did the best they could to honor Him, and teach the gospel, and it was a, a good church. I said, why aren't you going to church? They're liberal. I said, they're liberal? I said, have you ever been there? He said, no. I said, well, how do you know they're liberal? He said, well, have you seen their website? And I said, well, yeah, I've seen their website. He said, it looks professional. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, well, I've just heard, you know, people that try to be all flashy and smooth like that, you know. Well, you know, the reality is, he was talking down his brothers and sisters in the Lord who were seeking to serve God just like he was. We talked about that, and I'm happy to tell you he changed his mind about it. But you know what? I know you're going to get irritated sometimes. I know people are going to do stuff that's knuckleheaded. Uh, you're going to have 
option and room to talk bad about people. Just, just don't do it. Make sure when you open your mouth about a fellow Christian that, like my mom always said, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Build people up. Now, I will say, don't misunderstand this. This doesn't mean you can't confront me if I'm doing something wrong. Okay? The Bible teaches us to confront one another, but we do it in love. You see, my kids were confronted by me repeatedly, as my daughter would tell you, yes. He confronted us constantly. Why? Well, to build them up, to make them strong. You know, people tell me what wonderful children I have now, and I, I believe that, and I'm, I'm so happy that I've got wonderful children. But they didn't just start that way. <laughs> it took a lot of work to get them that way. They had to be confronted, but they were confronted in love. We never confronted our children because we wanted to tear them down. We were always trying to build them up and make them what God would have them be. He says in the next verse, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, by where, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know what it means to grieve someone? You know what grief is? We've all had grief, haven't we? It means to be very, very sad. He said, you know, if you lie into each other, if you're taking all the time instead of giving, if you're tearing each other down, if you're getting angry and holding that in and being bitter at one another, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in you is just filled with grief. He's sad. Filled with grief because of the behavior of God's children. Let's close out with verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. He says all that ugliness, that, that strife, and that turmoil, and that undercurrent of anger, and, and he said just, just have nothing to do with that stuff. And instead, you be these three things. Number one, you be kind. You know what kindness is, right? Kindness is just being nice to each other. Just be nice. Hold the door open for somebody. And be nice to them about it. I mean, you can hold the door open in a kind of a mean way. Sometimes I have to confess. I hold the door open at a 7-Eleven for someone. They walk through and just walk on through. I go, you're welcome. <laughs> you know the feeling. Don't be that way. Just be nice to each other. Let someone else get in line before you and while we're eating. Make a special... If somebody gets in your row, don't get out of shape about that. Be happy and give them your, your place. Be nice. Be kind and be tender-hearted. You know, you can be kind without being tender-hearted. My wife's family has a word for that. They call that being nice-nasty. You know what nice-nasty is? I have to shake your hand and I have to be nice because people are watching, but I really wish I didn't. How are you today? Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> you can choose whether you're soft-hearted or whether you're hard-hearted toward people. You can choose that. And he says, as Christians, for one another, we are tender-hearted. You need to be kind, but you also need to be tender-hearted. Years ago, when Jordan... I've got lots of illustrations with her today, don't I? Years ago, when she was, she was just about a year old, walking good, 
We'd taken her for her one-year pictures. Mom wanted to take pictures at every birthday. And so she went, and we were at uh, J.C. Penney's or somewhere waiting to get the pictures taken. And They had a little box of toys out in the lobby, and we had to wait our turn. So we were sitting there, and there were four, only four or five toys in the box. And she got those toys out, and she would step away and stand about this far, and she would throw a toy into the box. And then she would throw another toy into the box and throw another. And she was entertaining herself and everyone was happy and she was going to look beautiful for her picture. And then this other lady and her daughter came in and this was a big girl. I mean, she was probably, I don't know, four or five years old. And in retrospect, as soon as she walked in, her mom and I should have told Jordan, take some of those toys over and share with that little girl. But we didn't think about it. And Jordan takes her toy and she throws it in. The little girl runs over and grabs the toy out of the box. And I thought, well, you know, she needs a toy. And Jordan threw another one in and she came and got that one. Jordan threw another one in and she came and got that one. Jordan got down to just one toy. And she stood there and she looked at the box and she looked at that other little girl. And she looked at the box. Because she knows what's going to happen, right? And after about 30 seconds, that other little girl got tired of waiting and ran over and just grabbed the toy out of Jordan's hand and ran back to her mama. Now at that moment, Jordan turns around crying and runs to me. In my heart at that moment was tenderness for my daughter. You know what I mean? My heart was soft toward her. Her feelings had been hurt. She had been taken advantage of or mistreated. And I was very protective and gentle in my heart toward her. At the same time, at that very moment, in my heart toward that other little girl and her mama was not softness. You understand that too, right? You see the difference? Paul is just saying this. If you're going to get along and have this unity and this peace that passes all understanding, you've got, to, you've got to speak truth with each other. You've got to be givers and not takers. You can't tear each other down. You've got to build each other up. When you get angry, you have to deal with that in a constructive way. And when you deal with one another, you be kind and you be tender-hearted. You give them the benefit of the doubt. And then the last thing he says is you be forgiving. Because you can't put a group of a hundred sinners in the same building two or three times a week for years and you not step on each other's toes. It's just going to happen. You've got to be forgiving. We're going to talk about how to forgive later this week. The big picture that I want you to get out of these passages is this. Christianity, being like Jesus, is not some philosophy. It's not some theory. It's not a religion. It's a life. It's a way that we are. It's how we interact with one another. And if I were to interact with you the way Jesus Christ teaches me to interact with you, and you were to always treat me the way Jesus tells you to treat me, we would be the best friends that ever were because of the relationship that we would build from that. We need strong relationships in the church. We need each other. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. We have got to be involved with one another's lives and and those, those in the congregation where I attend, my home congregation, 
They have the freedom to confront me if I do something wrong. And they have confronted me before. And I needed it. And they've also got the freedom to build me up and encourage me because all of that works together to make us stronger in Christ. Because isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we really want? Don't you really want me to be more like Jesus at the end of this week? Sean wants me to preach better every time. But you know what? What we really want is for me to be more like Jesus at the end of this week than I was at the beginning, right? And you know what? That's what I want for you too. That's what the elders of this congregation want for this flock. is for this flock to be on a constant move. It's not about where you are. It's about the direction you're moving. Constantly moving toward Jesus Christ to become more and more like Him in all facets and all areas of our life. I hope you've been encouraged tonight. And I want to say this. If you're a liar and you're tearing people down with your words and you're taking instead of giving and you're being bitter or blowing up, you need forgiveness. You need to be forgiven of that. It's sinful and it's wrong. God loves you and He wants to forgive you. That's what this is all, that's why we're all here. That's what we're joined in one in, is the forgiveness that we receive in Jesus Christ.